Hello, Seattle. Welcome to the first episode of Startup Seattle. I'm Krishnan Gopalan and delighted to launch this podcast. I participate actively in the Seattle startup ecosystem as an angel investor, as well as a mentor and consultant to early stage company CEOs. I'm launching this podcast to provide another platform for Seattle entrepreneurs, seed stage angel investors, and others in the startup community. We hope to have engaging conversations and seek to educate, inspire, and entertain our listeners. Welcome once again, and hope you will continue to tune in. Good afternoon. Joining us in our first episode is Will Clausen, CEO of Cartogram. I got to know Will as he was starting up Cartogram in late 2014, early 2015. Will and I worked together for about 18 months and moved Cartogram from an early idea to a pre-seed stage company at the time. My adventures took me to other places while Will has devoted all his energy and passion into Cartogram. Will, welcome to the show. Glad to have you in the first episode of this podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Chris. Hey, uh, doing, doing really well, actually. I appreciate you having me on the show here. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, excellent. So, um, so Cartogram is in the indoor mapping space. Tell us what Cartogram does that a neophyte would understand quickly. Sure. So Cartogram, basically we do indoor maps or digital indoor maps for facilities. And uh, more specifically, we help people find and navigate inside large buildings uh, using software that you can run on your phone or in an app. Um, specifically, even more specifically for hospitals, we enable patients to navigate from their house to the correct parking garage and the correct entrance and ultimately to the location of their hospital appointment inside of the building. Wow, that's cool. Uh, we'll get to the hospital bit in a little, a little while. Um, you know, I recall that you know Google Maps is the 800 pound gorilla in this space. You know, they've done smartphone based maps uh, for a while. They've had a number of initiatives in indoor mapping. So um, how does uh, Cartogram relate to what uh, Google is uh, already doing in this space? Yeah, so I, I'd say that this is probably the, at least the, in the top three investor questions that the folks have when they're doing due diligence or, or they're interested in the company. And so Google has been in the map space for a long time. They have, in my opinion, the, the best mapping platform, the most accurate data, uh, the best user experience. And Cartogram is actually an extension of that, but I'll talk about more just, uh, just a bit. In, in terms of addressing this, addressing Google's impact or uh, ability to be in the indoor mapping space, it's, it's kind of important to understand where they've been and, and kind of what they've decided. So mm -hmm. early on, maybe 2013, that was when Google started to put a little bit of effort or a little bit of an initiative into getting maps of, of larger buildings, like, like public buildings, like airports and malls. And those, those maps are still, for the most part, I think, available, though a lot of them are out of date. Mm -hmm. And Google ultimately decided that they didn't want to be in this indoor mapping space because the, the inside of these buildings is constantly changing. Another piece of the puzzle that Google doesn't have is the infrastructure that's required to be able to pinpoint a precise location for the user. 
I think it's a combination of those two things that Google has really backed off of the space. Oh yeah, that's uh, I was I was thinking of the same too. It looks, but it looks like they have uh, uh, focusing more on the outdoor mapping experience uh, rather than uh, focusing or adding more initiatives to the indoor side of it. Most certainly, and you know, I, like I said, I think Google has the best mapping platform. So what we've done at Cartogram is take that mapping platform and use it as the base for our software. So when you're integrating, or when a you know a facility is integrating our software they're really integrating an extension of the Google Maps platform. And so Cartogram provides that same Google Maps look and feel, but we, we give the facility owner the control over the content and the routing and, and all of those things. So it's really the best of both worlds. Excellent, excellent. Um, so over here we are in uh, December, 2020. And um, you know one of the most popular questions that uh, every, on everyone's minds is, uh, how COVID has impacted their company, right? Yeah. With, uh, with yeah. most indoors off limits for a better part of this year. It was not an ideal situation for you. So how did you navigate COVID and how do you plan to do so moving forward? So, yeah, it, it's been a tough year for everybody. Uh, Cartogram is not um, you know exclusive to that group of folks that were impacted, but I would say that COVID in, in a way in a way, it's almost kind of a blessing for us because uh, it gave us time to address uh, some, some other things that, that really needed some attention within the company in terms of our, our direction and our strategy that we, we might not have been able to have time or, or resources to do if, if COVID hadn't hit. Basically, it opened up some free time for us. Now, in terms of the, the buildings being closed, yeah, that certainly hit our usage a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it was for a short period of time, I would say, you know, between maybe April and June, there, there was a dip in, in usage, but that has since recovered, uh, which, which is great. Now, in terms of the deals that we were planning on closing for 2020, uh, that, that was a struggle. And, and uh, the good news is that a lot of those deals are still on the table and planned for next year. Mm -hmm. uh, they were just delayed as opposed to canceled. So. Um, yeah, I think that the, the, the best thing about COVID for us is that maybe it could be these QR codes. Um, QR codes are like a, they're a very common thing now. And the QR codes that, that we can put inside of these hospitals to enable people to use our software, yeah. I think folks are, are, are more comfortable doing that now. Um, oh, cool. It, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, that's an awesome uh, uh, new creative way to uh, start your launch your mapping experience, I guess. Um, so uh, it's also probably, um, you know, uh, the healthcare sector uh, has had the most uh, turbulence this time. And of course, in a lot of visitors to hospitals. So that probably helped you uh, more in terms of focus on the healthcare sector over the last year, right? Absolutely. One of the things we didn't anticipate uh, our hospital customers using Cartogram for is actually to manage the COVID situation. Uh, with Cartogram software, you know they can they can block off routes and they can change the, the locations of things inside of the building, and they need a, a way to communicate that to their patients and their staff. And so we saw folks using Cartogram to block off routes or to change entrances. And, and these are things that actually increased our usage and added more value for our customers in healthcare. Oh, that's uh, that's really cool. So, uh, so did you anticipate that 
scenario when you started uh, uh, working with hospitals, like blocking off routes, blocking off access to certain locations, especially now that, you know, with uh, many hospitals being turned into, uh, uh, you know, COVID hospitals, this would, this would have been an excellent uh, scenario to, uh, to, uh, to use, right? We, yeah, we, we did anticipate it. Not necessarily that we didn't anticipate COVID, but we knew early on that facilities were going to need a lot of flexibility in, in their content management system or, or the system that they use to manage their maps, their entrances, and, and all the things that you see when you look at cartogram software and, and the maps that are on top. And so being able to change those things, we knew very early on that that was going to be a, a, a key feature, a key service that they would want. And it's really paid off uh, for a lot of these hospitals using our software today. Okay, okay. So if I recall right, um, uh, Cartogram started focusing on the healthcare sector some time ago, probably about a year, year and a half ago. How did you end up in that, you know, challenging sector of all places? Uh, the reason I ask is, you know, um, uh, many CEOs, uh, they try to find target product market fit by trying to be all things to all people. And then they go into a more narrowly focused, you know, at successful offering. So how did you end up in that space um, after all your uh, experiments? Sure. The, the journey to get to healthcare, I, I wish that we had done healthcare sooner. I wish that we had known about the, the, how lucrative this vertical was going to be for us earlier on. But in some ways it helped us, it, it kind of protected us a little bit. It gave us time to refine our software and, and um, you know, really make something that is bulletproof. And that's really something that hospitals demand. I think that early on our focus, you know, we try lots of different things. We try, you know, retail and sports venues and, and college campuses. And there, there are opportunities in those spaces. Absolutely. Um, maybe not so much in retail, but I haven't, we haven't really necessarily rolled out any of the other verticals, but healthcare turned out to be the best one. It's interesting because I thought early on, there's no way, you know, anybody, anybody's going to, you know, want to, to, to use our software for a hospital. I just, it didn't, never even crossed my mind, but I, I didn't know about the space. I didn't understand the patient experience was a major initiative across all healthcare systems in the United States. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that Medicare reimbursements were directly tied to patient experience and that hospitals have a financial incentive to provide an exceptional patient experience compared to their peers. And I didn't realize it was such a problem. And you go into a hospital and if you, if, you know, next time you're at your hospital, go take a look and sit in the waiting room at the front door and just watch people go by. And every single person, you're, they're gonna go up to the front desk and try to talk to somebody and they're gonna be totally lost. And I'm, we're talking about hundreds or thousands of people Right. every single day in just in just one facility and so when we realized those things and we when we got our first healthcare customer it was pretty clear that hey this is this is the direction that we want to take the company okay okay yeah uh, i mean i recall in one of our early trials at the seattle pet show of all places you know at the convention center um so it was a fun time you know we were helping uh, navigate people to their favorite booths you know people would come in as the information desk, hey, you know, where do I get to this, uh, you know, this booth that is selling, uh, you know, product X. And uh, we were there at the uh, replacing the information desk and pointing people 
um, to uh, say download the uh, the app uh, and they can navigate themselves to the booth, right? So that was that was uh, so I came out with a conviction conviction at the time that uh, event mapping and integration with events would be huge. Uh, so what happened there? Uh, is that is that still going on? I I think that moving forward, it, it is one of the verticals that I think could be very lucrative. It's it's a space that's a little bit tricky because every event is really its own entity. It's 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 kind of its own living thing that has a, a start and a, and a, a finish date. Mm -hmm. But there are lots of events, and it is a large market size. I think early on we. We explored it a little bit, and I rem remember going to that show with you. That was fun. Um, it, was, it was a good time for exploration for the company. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a vertical that we we may explore down the road. Traditionally, the, the biggest problem with the event space has been um, just just the lack of infrastructure in these these trade shows and convention centers. And I think that they are getting there. I think some of them are getting the infrastructure put in place, but some of them just don't have it, and so. Without that, uh, it, it certainly makes it a little bit less desirable to, to use something like Cartogram because you'd be missing out on the real-time turn-by-turn navigation that we're known for. But yeah, it's, it's still definitely on the table for the future. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that integration with uh, mapping and you know having uh, that be integrated in the event app itself uh, would be would be a great plus for attendees. You know, when uh, post-pandemic, I think people are going to gather, do more events. And so uh, yep. that would be a good opportunity to, uh, you know, to ramp it back, ramp it back up again. You bet. Yeah, I think that folks are going to be ready to get out of the house and exactly. be as social as they possibly could be. So, uh, yeah, I think it could be a lucrative spot for us. Excellent. So, um, you know, you've been a CEO for of a startup for the last couple of years, um, and um, you know, one of the things is. Uh, you know, you learn things, uh, uh, you know, on a daily, hourly basis. So looking back, um, you know, what, what is something that you thought would be hard, but that turned out to be like ridiculously easy or uh, vice versa, you know, the other way, easy. And you thought it would be easy and it will be like, it just turned out to be too hard for you. The thing that comes to mind is our, our partnership with Epic. Uh, it, it took some time to, to put that in place. And, you know, Epic has a, has a sign up thing on their website and, and it looks very straightforward to, to be. So this Epic is this uh, 800 pound uh, EMR gorilla, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Out, out there in, in Wisconsin, they're, they're a beast and uh, they, they've got this, you know, healthcare software that they provide to roughly 60% of the hospitals across the country. And if you're going to sell healthcare, IT, anything, uh, you need to be friends with Epic, and, and you know we're fortunate that, that we are. But that did take some time uh, in order to put that partnership in place for us. So it was not as simple as signing up for an API key or, or signing up, you know, to use their software and then integrating it. There, there's a lot more pieces of the puzzle that we had to get put in place before we could actually go to hospitals and say, "Hey, we have this great integration. Our software works really well with Epic, and it'll add a lot more value." So um, uh, tell me a little bit more about the integration. You know, do they have uh, uh, APIs or you know, open APIs that people can integrate to? Or do you have to really you know, uh, strike a, uh, a deal with them before they expose any of the endpoints that uh, you can integrate with? Yeah, there's more to it than just, uh, just an open API call. There's a, there's a process to become a member of, of their program, you know, they're, they're gonna vet the companies that wanna work with them. 
Um, there's a, you know, there's a, a contract that's involved. And the, ultimately, at the end of the day, cardiogram enables patients to navigate specifically to their appointment. So we have a, a, an integration with Epic MyChart. We also have uh, access to MyChart APIs that allow us to pull patient appointment details so that a patient isn't necessarily just navigating to a hospital campus or a parking garage, but actually to the location of their specific appointment tailored to them inside of the hospital. And we, we navigate that entire journey, not just to the place inside, but from their front door to the correct parking garage, the correct entrance, and, and then to their appointment that you know, maybe it's on a different floor. So uh, it's, it's that journey that we put together for the patient and, and Epic is a big part of that. Yeah, I'm sure that's a, that, you know, that'll be a sweet experience and uh, getting the data right from uh, the, the system that holds the truth is, uh, is really excellent, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, so um, um, I, I knew uh, you to be a great fan of, uh, you know, patents and IP. Um, you were quite intense uh, at the time, uh, early 2016, 2017, uh, to spend the time and money to file IP for the company. Uh, so how do you think it's worked out? And um, what would you recommend to early stage founders on how they should think about and handle IP? Yeah, great question. And you're right. I am a, I am a big fan of patents and IP and, and putting as much protection around the, the hard work and time and effort that, that everybody's put into this company as a team. I think that when we, when we talk about intellectual property, I really look at it in a few buckets. You have patents, you have copyright slash you know, trademark, and then you have, you know, your, your domains. And so it's probably in order of importance for early stage companies, you, you really want to probably focus more on the, uh, maybe a provisional patent or uh, on the copyright, you know, if you have your source code. The, the, the biggest thing on the patent side, is I don't think a lot of folks really truly understand what a patent is, what it does, the kinds of protection that it provides. Uh, I hear... <laughs> It's a very common thing, you know. I'll, I'll be listening to uh, you know another founder, and they'll they'll say that they have a patent, mm -hmm. and that, that will interest me. And I'll say, oh, tell me about the patent. Like, well, it's a, it's a provisional patent. But, and so if you have a if you have a provisional patent, you don't it, it's you don't actually have any protection at that point in time. Uh, and right. even if you if you file an actual non-provisional patent or non-provisional utility patent. Just filing the patent, that doesn't mean anything either. You're going to have to argue with the USPTO about it for a little while before they'll, they'll actually grant you some protection. Mm -hmm. And then when, when your patent is actually issued by the USPTO, if, if you can get it through, the, the, the things that that patent will do for you, a lot of folks aren't, aren't familiar with that. They think, well, hey, I have this patent, so that means that I can, I can sell this and, and everything's good. Really, a patent just blocks somebody else from selling it. It doesn't actually allow you to sell it. There's a lot more pieces to that. Right. So, um, I, one one of the suggestions I would have is for for early stage founders is, is just you know get a you know take a you know a short you know thirty minute or hour long course or TED talk or YouTube video to to really understand what patents can do for your company. Then you can make a decision on. Number one, do you think that you have something that is patentable? So understand what that means to be patentable. Mm -hmm. And is it going to be worth your time to go after that, knowing that, you know, it, it, it could be two, three, four years before that patent is actually issued to pro provide some protection. Now, on the other buckets, 
for instance, the, the domains, Cartogram invested very early on, almost a defensive strategy. Uh, we have 70 domains. Uh, and if you see some other companies who might look like Cartogram on the surface and they, they have kind of a, maybe a wonky name, it's because we already took all the names. We already bought all the domains for pretty much everything. You, you have 70 domains registered to your company? We have 70, seven zero. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah, very defensive strategy. And that, that was very early on. I remember uh, I was, I, I really wanted the indoormaps.com domain. And I would check every night. I didn't have a, a really sophisticated way about going about getting that, that domain. I just knew that I really wanted that. As a, as a part of the, you know, the foundation for the company, I would check every day, every night on my, on my phone before I went to bed. And I did it, you know, for months and all of a sudden it showed up and I was just, I was just so, so happy to, to get that domain. And then I kind of built out our, our door, domain portfolio from there. So yeah, I, I think that's another, but I don't know if you need 70, but going out and, and think, you know, planning for the future, thinking about some ways that you, your business might branch out from where you're currently starting Mm -hmm. uh, and then and kind of building some defense around that. I, I do think that that's important. Last thing is the, uh, you know, the trademark. So Cartogram, we, we actually got our principal registration on our trademark, which took five years. Mm -hmm. So and the reason for that is Cartogram is, uh, is kind of a descriptive word. It's actually a word in, in the English dictionary. So it, it, it didn't go over very well when, when, we, when we filed that and, and they said, well, that's, that's not gonna fly. You, you need to acquire some distinctiveness uh, yeah. for, for your mark. You need to have, you know, you need to put some sales and marketing effort into it before we're gonna give that to you. And ultimately we were given that principal registration, I guess it was maybe about a year ago, but that, you know, I, I do think it's worthwhile to go and file for a trademark, particularly if, if it's not a descriptive Mark, um, it, it's it's not very expensive and it's pretty pretty not very time consuming either. Okay, okay. So in your in your uh, discussions with uh, partners and customers, has the topic of uh, IP come up? Uh, do customers uh, look at uh, any IP that uh, the company may have before they uh, say start or you know end uh, successful negotiations? I, I do think that they look at it a little bit more from the perspective of hey, do we actually own our software or are we uh, licensing or partnering? And are there a bunch of other people involved? That's one of the things that they really care about. And it's one of our distinctive capabilities. We can go to a hospital system and say, hey, we own our software end to end. You know, we, we own the, the routing, the mapping, the content management, um, the indoor positioning, the navigation, that we, we, we're the, the, the API calls are coming from our servers. Uh, and that, that sets us apart from other companies that didn't take the time to build out. Uh, I'm, this is kind of in the copyright space, but they didn't take time to build out their technology on their own. And it does allow us to stand out from our competitors. Now, in terms of, of, of patents and trademarks, you know, the 70 domains, our customers don't care about that. It's not going to give us right. any more customers. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's take a short break here. Well, we'll be back shortly. Welcome back. We are talking to Will Clausen, the CEO of Cartogram. You can find them on the web at indoormaps.com. Their focus uh, right now is on the uh, hospital sector, and they provide uh, mapping uh, solutions for uh, visitors to hospitals to be able to navigate uh, to their uh, places of appointments and other directions, amongst other things. So, um, Will, 
take us through a typical sales process and marketing process with a hospital. Do you have like inside salespeople that are prospecting with different hospitals? Or do you do more of an outbound, um, uh, you know, so actually inbound by uh, placing Google ads or Facebook or LinkedIn ads and have them, you know, get back to you? How does the, how does the sales and marketing process work for you guys? Early on, we, we, we focused more on the Google ads and just trying to, to get our foot in the door with somebody. We didn't have any customer references that we could use in healthcare. So we had to use some, some references from some other verticals, but it was very difficult for, you know, to try to get a sports venue to, to say, hey, you know, go, go call up their hospital buddies. They, don't, they didn't have any. So early on, it was a lot of Google ads and uh, some, some pretty strategic uh, ways of, of figuring out exactly who's coming to our website without them actually have to type in any of their information into the, the, you know, the forms that we have. So when we figured out this workflow of you know, Google ads, getting them to the website, and then understanding who, who those visitors were based on their IP address and some fancy sales and marketing tech that we had, and then we could go and reach out to them at that point. And we still do that. We still have that flow today, but a lot of that has changed in that folks are, they, they like our software and they're referring their, their buddies because hospitals talk to other hospitals and it's, it's kind of a nice referral system that we have in place. And the, the most important thing for us is that we actually get invited to a deal. It's not like there's there's one uh, person at the hospital and they they just, you know, they're looking at different wayfinding companies and they're like, yep, I'm gonna pick Cartogram and that's it. It, it, it never ever works that way. There's always a, a process, usually there's an RFP. Yeah. Uh, and the most important thing is that we just get invited to, to submit a proposal to that RFP. And if we can get to that point, then we have a very good chance of the deal uh, historically. Ah, so you do get um, uh, referrals from one hospital to another uh, because the, the folks that have adopted your software uh, like the experience and like what it is doing for them. That's right. The, you know, they'll, they'll talk about the usage, they'll talk about our customer service, they'll talk about the, the, the functionality I was out at uh, I was out at one of our, our major hospital customers in Memphis. It's a, a very well-known children's research hospital. I remember being there, and uh, you know we were doing kind of a site survey and just checking up on them. And I remember I, I heard this this turn left in in 37 feet near the chapel, and I thought, well, that sounds like cartogram software. So <laughs> I, I looked around the corner, and sure enough, uh, there's this gal. Um, you know, pushing a cart around the, the corner and, and she was using our software and there's the customer that's standing right next to me. And, you know, he saw that and that was really a beautiful moment for me because I don't think that I've ever seen anybody use our software in such a candid and, um, you know, uh, real life environment like that. And so our, our hospital customers, they'll take that information, they'll take experiences like that and they'll call their hospital buddy next door and they'll say, hey, you should check out these cartogram guys. Okay, that's 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 awesome. So, what are you seeing in terms of um, uh, hospitals uh, deploying this to multiple, say, locations or their you know satellite offices or whatever? Do they do they typically just do it for one location, or do you are you seeing deals where you know hospital chain is you know wants to deploy to uh, sites across states and across uh, various cities? 
we we do see uh, we we see kind of a, a network or a branching out from from an initial hospital. So as an example, we have uh, several of uh, the, the Methodist hospitals out in San Antonio, mm-hmm. and that started with just one hospital there, and that person liked it. And you know, if you then the hospital across the street says, "Hey, they got the cool wayfinding software. I want that cool wayfinding software," and it kind of spreads out that way. Now some hospitals don't have any, any sister hospitals and that's okay. They, they'll still be able to provide those referrals for us. But uh, yeah, it, it is nice to have that uh, kind of snowball effect that, that we're seeing, uh, particularly since, I mean, we've only been selling to healthcare for, uh, what is it, maybe 18 months or so. So it's, it's good progress for the company. Mm, okay, okay. So once a hospital chooses a cartogram, um, how long does it typically take uh, to have the first user uh, you know, download the software and start using it in their premises? Well, we get them set up in three weeks from the time that we get badges and first payment. That, that's all it takes for us. Uh, unfortunately, it, you know, it takes a little, it, with enterprise, IT, it takes a little bit more time to get the ball rolling. And a lot of that has to do with the content on the maps. So we're dealing with a lot of different organizations within a healthcare system. There's marketing, there's IT, there's facilities, there's operations, and there's the Office of Patient Experience. All five of those groups are involved in, in this rollout. Mm-hmm. And so even though we say that, you know, and it's true, we can get them rolled out in three weeks from the time we get payment and badges, they, they won't want to do it in three weeks. They want to they talk about it. They want to make sure that their branding's right, that the content on the maps is in places that they want it, that the, the colors match, that the fonts are correct. Mm-hmm. And they're also going to, you know, they're going to talk about the routes and they're going to say, hey, you know, this, this route needs to be blocked off or, you know, we don't want patients going through this entrance. And, and even when we do get everything set up and the way that they want it, uh, they're going to make, want to make some more changes, right? And that's okay. Our technology it is built for that. It was made for, for those types of changes from day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it is, a, it is a little bit of a longer process. I would say generally it, it's a few months from the time the contract gets signed to, to probably like a, a beta rollout for the hospital. Right, right, right. So any, any uh, tips, tricks, or hacks that you can uh, share with, uh, you know, other enterprise uh, CEOs that, are, that could be listening to this uh, podcast, you know, to make that process go faster? My suggestion would be write your contracts in such a way that incentivizes the hospital to keep the ball rolling. So a, a couple of examples. One might be uh, providing them a small discount. Uh, you know, if they're able to have a live production version of the software, uh, let's say within three months from the time that the contract is signed. Another example would be to um, have, have a timeline and, and maybe put that timeline into the contract so that after the contract signed, you at least have some kind of foundation that you can use. And, and if somebody's starting to get behind, you can refer back to the contract. And whenever you refer back to the contract, uh, you know, they, they take that a lot more seriously versus like, hey, you know, I talked to, you know, Cheryl and, you know, Cheryl, yeah, she said that she thought that we could do this in a couple of months. Nobody's going to remember that. And probably Cheryl's going to leave, you know, in six months anyway to go work at another hospital. It's uh-huh. good to have as, as many of those details as you can inside of that contract. And then the last thing I would mention is to start the term of, for this, I'm talking for enterprise IT software type things, 
start the term of the contract at, at the same date that the contract is signed. Don't, don't, don't start it at the point in time when uh, your, your, your customer decides that they want to roll it out because you're going to be consulting with them over that period of time. Mm-hmm. There's no reason not to be paid for that, for that time and that effort and the time that your servers and your software is running. Uh, there, there's lots of things that might hold up a deployment that has absolutely nothing to do with your software or your team or anything that you've done. A lot of times folks just end up moving around or changing jobs and that delays things. And you don't want that to impact your company. So that's just a couple of suggestions. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, cool. So, um, uh, you know, obviously as a startup CEO, uh, you've, you've acquired some skills as you have uh, navigated and led your company. What are some of the key skills or technologies that you think, you know, startup CEOs need to have? And if they don't have it at the moment, should work to you know, gain it as rapidly as possible. What are some of the things that you've done and possibly you can share with um, uh, other CEOs uh, in the Seattle area? You know, Chris, I remember back uh, you know, when, when you and I first met and I was, I was very green. I didn't, I'd never done a pitch before. I didn't, I didn't know what a warrant was. Uh, investment banking was a, a concept that I had, had never uh, looked at or considered. You know, I, don't, I didn't have an MBA. But you know, I, I had I had a little bit of business experience and a lot of technology experience. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that, that you helped me realize was that you know if, if you're going to try to do something that's big, if you're really going to try to you know go out and build a big company and you need to raise money, raising money is not it's not like a a, a side thing. I, I initially I, raising money and getting up on stage and talking to investors like that, ah. That wasn't very much fun, really. I didn't really like doing that because I wasn't really very good at it, to be honest. Right. And um, I, I think that after spending some time with you, you helped me see that it was not a uh, it was not a side task. It was, it's not something I put on my to do list. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I've got to go do fundraising today. It's something that you got to be really good at. And I think that there came a point in time where I realized that I either needed to get good at, at raising money or I, I needed to have somebody else do it and, and kind of uh, get involved in more of a CEO role and I, where I was stepped into more of a CTO role. Mm-hmm. I made the decision that, uh, that I was gonna get it right. And so after I kind of made that decision and after working with you, um, I, I, Cartogram started to win. Um, we started to win some competitions. We, you know, we started to get some investments. And I, I think that we're probably one of the most awarded companies in terms of fundraising in the, the Western Washington area. You know, we, we, we've gotten lots of support from various folks all over the place. But I guess, you know, to answer your question, if, if you're going to go out there and you want, want to build a company, you got to raise money. And if you're going to raise money, you got to be good at it. You can't, you know, it's very selective to get into uh, the, these pitch events. And there's a process that all of the groups have, whether it's uh, a seed stage fund or an institutional fund or an angel fund, they have a process and they're not looking for the, you know, the top 50% of companies or the top 20% of companies. They want the best. They're going to look at, you know, a hundred companies. And, you know, if you're lucky, you'll be lucky to get in for, you know, into the top 10. So get good at fundraising. And if you don't want to do that, get somebody who can uh, help out. And, um, you know, if, if you, if you really don't like it, you really don't want to get on stage. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe somebody else, you know, should step in for you. That's, that's some advice that I have. 
Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Fundraising, you know, by itself is uh, is a full time work, and you know, during the time, it's I know it's hard to focus on uh, running the company and making uh, advancements in sales and uh, marketing and the product. But you got to do it, right? You know, if yeah. you if you believe in uh, the um, believe in your you know mission and uh, the prospects of the company, you have to raise money to keep it moving forward. So excellent. So so fundraising is one of the skills that you know you really um, uh, you know hope that uh, startup CEOs um, you know take seriously and uh, gain the skills needed to navigate it successfully. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a key one. You know, it used to be that. I would kind of dread. I, it wasn't very fun to get up on stage. And now there's, there's really nothing I, I like more than getting up on stage and, and sharing Cartogram's story with folks. Uh, it, it's an exciting thing. If I had to name one other technology or, or skill that startup CEOs should, should have or at least explore, I think that machine learning is, is, is something that it's, it's going to be important moving forward and really understanding why, how machine learning can help your startup uh, as early as possible, if, if, it, if it can, I think that that's also important. And, and if you're not going to be the person to do that, at least have an idea of how machine learning can help and, and who you might onboard to help out with that if you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember, you know, uh, you had um, some really good skills with Google Ads, for example. Uh, you were running the Google Ads campaign for a while for Cartogram. So yeah. how did you end up uh, acquiring the skills for Google Ads? Was it a lot of experimentation or long hours? You know, what was the trick there? Google Ads is, it's, it's just this, it's, it's a beast that's always changing and it's, it's not perfect, but it, it has done a lot for the company. Almost every dollar of revenue that this company has, has ultimately come from a Google ads that was clicked by somebody that ultimately got them to our website. And we can tie those clicks back and see the whole journey from uh-huh. the, the initial time that the person typed in a, a search keyword to, you know, we use full story, which is, is great for replaying website visits. Um, and then we, we have another service we use called lead forensics, which is uh, really good at being able to determine who's actually visiting your website. Uh, we have a really nice CRM tool, but, but on Google ads, it, it really comes down to some trial and error. You're not going to be able to get it right the first time. Uh, and even after that trial and error, Google's going to call you and tell you that, you know, they, they think that you should do something differently. My mm-hmm. recommendation is um, don't listen to them. Uh, I, we, we had some problems around that because every time we would talk to Google, they would say, oh, yeah, well, we're going to make some changes. And, and you know, I think that they're going to help you out. And, and we would always say, well, we can always go back, right? If, if these, this doesn't work, they say, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's fine. And then there are, there are changes that they made to our Google ads don't work. And then they say, oh yeah, we can't go back anymore. And so that's happened two or three times now where I just learned, we know what, what we want Google ads to do because we've mm-hmm. done a lot of that experimentation already. And, uh, but but that, that might not be the best path for everybody. So I would say explore, you know, like maybe you like Google help out a little bit, also do some experimentation on your own. There's a lot to be, I mean, it, it takes a lot of, of time to realize all of the different things and all the different strategies that you can use with Google ads. And it might be good to have somebody involved, you know, maybe early on to give you a few pointers. To get a, okay, okay, cool, cool. All right. So um, we want a little bit of a general question here. So, you know, one aspect of uh, human behavior that I'm fascinated with is how people make decisions. You know, all these people have some mental models, you know, they have... Some people deliberate a lot, talk to so many people, and then make a decision. 
and then make a consensus decision. Only if everybody else agrees that decision is made. Some people let a few trial balloons up, gather some data and then make a decision. Some go by sheer gut. So what model do you follow in making decisions? And how does that change when you know, decisions have to be made under pressure of time? Um, you know, some, some uh, thoughts on this would be great. When I was growing up, one of the, the staples that I had at my house uh, that, that my mom always encouraged me to use was to, to really uh, don't, don't necessarily always trust, don't always go with your intuition, but try to use your intuition uh, to guide you. And that's, that's what I've always done with Cardigram. And I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm less of a CEO and more of like a chief risk management officer. I spend more time trying to dodge bullets before they get fired. Mm. Um, it feels like, and, you know, some other things. But I, I would say th the way that I go about making decisions is I, I, I try to see, hey, do, do I have any intuition about what's going to happen? Or what, are, what are the risks that I think might uh, involve? What are, what are some key things that... Um, in the environment that maybe other folks aren't looking at. And then I will, if, if there is some intuition that I have about a particular question that, or decision I need to make, I will try to go find some data to back that, that in, intuitive guess, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And if there's no, if there's no data to, to, to back up that, then, uh, then it's just, it's purely a, a data and, and resources question. And it's pretty, pretty straightforward. But when there's, when there's a, a time pressure uh, to make a decision, I, I guess I always am a little bit more conservative. Um, if, if somebody, it's just like, you know, if you, if you go to a hospital and say, Hey, you know, uh, we're going to give you a, you know, a discount if you, if you buy within the next two weeks, they're, all, they're always going to say, no, they're, they're just, you know, give us some more time. Right. I would say that um, being more conservative with decision-making when there's time pressure is the way that I would go about things. That's, that's excellent. Yeah, that's, that's a good framework uh, that you have. So um, you're you know, winding down to the, um, the last portion of our podcast. So um, I, I want to give you the opportunity to call out anybody, a friend, a colleague, anybody that you know uh, that has been an inspiration to you. Who would that be? Uh, you know, I thought about um, maybe probably my wife. I'd go with my wife. She has been along this journey with me for some time now. You know, we got married back in 2016. And uh, I, actually shortly after that, I moved to New York for six months for fundraising for the company, which is kind of, it's kind of weird to get married and then, you know, move to the other side of the country. That was, that was a, a difficult time, but she's been by my side, you know, this whole time and supported and, and through the ups and the downs of the, of the company. And actually, um, you know, as of, I guess, maybe very recently, uh, she's pregnant. Uh, so we have a, a baby boy that's on the way. She's about 10 weeks. And, um, you know, it's, it's been wonderful to have her with me and have her support along the way. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. looks like you're making that announcement on this podcast. Wow. <laughs> that's um, amazing. And uh, well played. Well played. You know, citing your wife as the inspiration. You're going to have... Uh, um, you know, a, a blissful wedded life there, Will Pausen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. So let's try another one, you know, make a prediction for 2021. I mean, this is the season for making predictions. 
I think anybody who made a prediction in 2020 is eating dust. So let's see <laughs> what happens in 2021. So what, what, what prediction would you want to make? For 2021, I think security is going to be a topic that is, is uh, going to be top, top of everybody's mind for, for the entire year. I think security is something that uh, everybody's going to be focusing on more. I think companies in that space are going to do particularly well. Um, and I think that uh, security will get the attention that it probably has deserved for a long time, but uh, really isn't, isn't making it to the main stage now. Right. By security, you mean like, you know, uh, securing uh, enterprise assets uh, uh, and information, right? Uh, cybersecurity. Yeah, cybersecurity, right. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, there is lots of other stuff like, you know, uh, that uh, we got to be worried about, especially, you know, after this pandemic, like, you know, food security and essentially even like social security, right? Uh, not, not the social security, meaning the, the, the stuff we get out from age 65, but the... Right the inherent tensions within society itself, right? Sure. Yep. Um, okay, okay, okay. So cybersecurity, yeah, absolutely. Uh, very, very contextual, very relevant uh, uh, with what's the news happening uh, these days. All right, so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, you don't work 18, 19 hours a day, that you, you do have some favorite activities. What do you do outside of work, Will? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I do still sometimes work 18 hours a day, but it's not every day like it, like it was back in the early days. I would say that my go-to activity has changed over the years. You know, it used to be the investor's favorite question was, you know, what happens to my money if, if you get hit by a bus? And the answer to that question used to be, well, you probably lose all your money. But uh, now that the company has grown, that, you know, that's no longer the case. We have a great team to back things up. So, you know, Back in the day, I used to do a lot of mountain biking. Uh, I used to, uh, you know, snowboarding. Maybe, maybe things that I don't do so much anymore, just because uh, I want to. I want to take care of the company. And, and now I have a baby boy that's on the way, and I want to try to be safe for him as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the things that I, I have for a go-to activity, you know, it's not very glamorous. I've always really liked to play video games. I I, I look at my uh, at my granddad, you know, growing up and. Mm -hmm. I grew up on a, a ranch in, in Fredonia, Kansas. And I remember him being kind of my inspiration. He was the first person who introduced me to computers. I was, you know, running very simple commands on DOS when I was you know, three or four years old. And that, when it came summertime, you know, to, to go out and do farm type stuff, I didn't want anything to do with that. I just wanted to stay inside and work on the computer. Uh -huh. and so I think that that has stuck with me over time, you know, I just, I like playing video games. I like working on my computer. I like, you know, doing technical things, um, it, it, not necessarily specific to cartograms. So right. yes, it's, it's not, uh, it's not super exciting, but yeah, I, I really like video games, man. Do you, do you run a Bitcoin node? I do not. You do not. Okay. All right. I mean, every day people are talking these days about converting their balance sheets to Bitcoin um, that's the, you know, the, the new news of, uh, today. Uh, so, um, do you plan to run a Bitcoin node soon? Mm, uh, I don't think so at this time, not, not for the time being anyway, but yeah, right, it, right. It is yeah. maybe a trend. <laughs> I, there was just, I was just, uh, you know, uh, kidding there. Uh, excellent. Thank you so much. So, well, it's been a delight talking to you and getting to know what um, Carter Graham and you have been up to. I wish you all the best in 2021. You know, I'm sure 
we'll look at 2021 with as much amazement as we have been doing for this year. So all the best and uh, talk to you more in the next year. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it as always. All right. Excellent. Thanks, man. All right. Take care now. Yeah. Thank you very much for tuning in. You can send us feedback at startupfeedback at carabinermedia.com. It is startupfeedback at carabiner, C-A-R-A-B-I-N-E-R, media.com. See you next time.